Well, good morning, brethren, and welcome to another Feast of Tabernacles Bible study here on the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, one more, the last great day tomorrow, and uh, God willing, we will have completed uh, the book of Ephesians. Today we're up to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into today's study. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you on this seventh day of the, the Feast, Lord, uh, thanking you. We're, we're just full of gratitude, Lord for the, the calling that you've put upon our lives and the willingness, Father, that you've put in our hearts to obey you, to obey Jesus Christ, to obey your word. And, and what a blessing it is, Father, as we keep these days and the understanding that we come into over time, faithfully keeping your word. We pray, Father, that you will bless us now in our study of Ephesians 5, that we would just come to a fuller understanding of your will in our lives and that we would conform our hearts and our minds to Christ. We praise you, Lord. We ask this blessing now in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 5, brethren, let's get into today's study. And <clears throat> you'll see here, uh, just picking, I just want to pick up a couple of verses um, from chapter 2 and 4 as we get into 5. So just by um, way of reminder, the theme we picked up in chapter 1, as the Apostle established the purpose of his letter, we came to understand that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings, that God has withheld nothing from us, and that we have access to this great power in our lives, the same power with which he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's now using that power in our lives to raise us from the dead, so to speak. So just remember that in Ephesians 2 and verse 2, he's saying, you know, in time past, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So we see this immediate contrast between the Holy Spirit and the power of God that is working in the children of light and the spirit of Satan that is working in the children of disobedience. And, 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 you know, in time past, the Ephesian Christians walked according to the course of this world in the prince of the power of the air. That has now changed. And so this concept of walking is a theme that Paul is establishing. He says in verse 2, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship. It's God who's working in us. Uh, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So, so God, it's, we're his workmanship, and we're brought into this covenant and created in Christ to do good works, which God has ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. So we see this theme being developed now that now that we're in the light, now that we have access to this great power, there's a way that we can walk separate and apart from the way that the people of this world walk. Christians should be very, very different in our walk than the people of this world. The people of this world should not be leading us, and unfortunately some of us are following after the, 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 drunk, the drunkenness of the people of this world. We cannot do that, brethren. Let them have their thing, because they're drunk, and they're under the operation of the spirit of this world. We are under the operation of the Holy Spirit, and we walk in the light. 
And so Paul is establishing this theme of how we walk. And therefore he says now, in, in chapters 1 to 3, he's really laying down the doctrine, the teaching, the, the ideology, the, the, the thinking, the conceptual framework of the Christian. And now that we understand all these things, now in chapters 4 to 6, he lays out the practical application of this framework. So he begins, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, we studied this yesterday, I'm begging you, please, I'm beseeching you, I'm begging you, that you walk worthy of this vocation wherewith you are called. Understand all these things that I've covered with you in chapters 1 to 3. And now that you understand these things, this is why I'm begging you to look at how you walk. And don't walk according to the course of this world. Walk worthy of this vocation and walk in this great power that, you, that we have access to. And then in verse 17 he says, This I say therefore and testify in, in the Lord that you no more walk as other Gentiles walk. So these Gentiles, you're, you're not a Gentile anymore. You're a Gentile that's been grafted in. Walk as a first fruits Israelite. Your, your behavior, your, your, your conduct should be very, very different than your family members who are all around you in the city of Ephesus, and they're not called, they're walking according to the course of this world. You have to walk differently. Don't walk like them in the vanity of their mind. And we can absolutely 100% apply this to our day today. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, and let me just see here. Yeah, so don't grieve the Holy. So he, now he's, he, so this is sort of the tail end of chapter 40, showing how we are to walk. There's a possibility that if we do not separate ourselves from the affairs of this world, if we walk after the course of this world, then we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. This, this power that he says we have access to, which is far above all powers and principalities, we're going to neutralize it and we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby, and by this Holy Spirit, we're sealed unto the day of redemption. Unless, of course, we grieve the Holy Spirit and break that seal. Then how do we walk? What is the way that we walk in light? And again, we covered this yesterday. We'll just read it quickly to get into chapter 5. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. You know, Pastor Murray in his uh, sermon on Psalm 15, he said, you know, hold that up. Let, that, let the words of the psalm look back at you. Let it be a reflection. And look at that, and, and can you evaluate your life positively based on what's on psalm, in, in Psalm 15? And I guess this would be an extension of what's in Psalm 15. And I would say the same thing. Let verse 31 and 32 be a mirror. And, and look at your Christian walk. Look at your conduct. Look at your behavior and ask yourself, is this true of you? Are you carrying, but you know, Paul says, be you angry, but don't sin. So, so anger is not an issue. It is good to be angry for the Lord, but don't let the sun set on your wrath. So, so there's a way of being angry that's not sinful. But if you are angry and you go to bed, and then you wake up the next day and you're carrying that anger with you. Well, let me not even say wake up the next day. You wake up the next Passover. You go from Passover to Passover, harboring anger, harboring wrath, carrying bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking of brethren. This has to be, if we're walking worthy of this vocation with this power 
that we have access to, this, it's like, it is leaven. It has to be put away from us with all malice. Instead, the opposite. Be you kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And it, you know, bears in mind that the man who would not forgive uh, someone who owed him a, a, a pittance, and he had this great debt to Christ, and, and he wouldn't forgive the person who owed him a pittance, and he expected Christ to forgive him, and that did not go well. And that's an exact parable or metaphor of what we face here. Let us remember what Christ has forgiven us of, and let us be very merciful and forgiving to our brethren. So this is all about the community, how we live in community, in the covenant community, reflects our Christianity. And, and, and we have to be functional Christians within this body, functional members of the body. So all of that to lead into chapter 5 to say, be you therefore followers of God as dear children. So he's given us the formula of how to be a follower of God, how to be a true Christian, how to walk worthy of this vocation in the power, the exceeding great power of the Holy Spirit, which is within us. This is how to do this. This is how we combat the principalities and powers. And we do not fall victim, as the rest of the world does, to walking according to the course of this world. And now, he, is, he continues this understanding, how we walk. And walk in love. This is how we walk. And we have to be patient with one another. This is a lifelong process. But brethren, I have seen things, even not at this feast, God, you know, praise God, but at previous feasts. I've seen incredibly hateful, immature, dysfunctional, unspiritual behavior. Or I guess I can't say unspiritual, it's spiritual, but ungodly behavior. Even at, even at the feast during the holy days, even on high holy days. We cannot be like this, brethren. Give it up. Put it, put it away from us. Put it far away from us. And walk in love. This is what we're called to do. As Christ also has loved us. This is how we ought to love one another. In fact, Christ gave us that command. This is the command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so Paul is just repeating what Christ himself taught us, that we must walk in love as Christ also has loved us. So we have to look at how Christ has loved the church. We have to understand how he's loved the church and and he goes on here to say sacrifice for the church, and this is how we love each other. We, ego cannot be in the middle of our relationships, because then we're letting Satan get in the middle of our relationships. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. So you look at the ancient uh, Israelites, and how they have to constantly be bringing offerings through the Levites to God as a sweet-smelling savour. And, and Christ has done this once and for all. Christ sacrificed himself as an offering to God. And now that we understand this, we're to take this understanding, and this is how we ought to love one another. Sacrificing ourselves, sacrificing our egos for this love that we have for one another. Now the opposite, so that's how we are to walk walk in love but fornication 
and all uncleanness or covetousness, and that's something that's creeping deeply into our society today through the global Marxist influence, which many of us are falling victim to, it ought never to be named among us. But fornication, that's a sexual immorality, and all uncleanness, including how we speak, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you. So somebody comes in from the outside and they're observing your congregation, they're looking at your life, they're looking at the lives of the believers, and they don't see any trace of this. What a shame. What a catastrophe. If people see how people walk according to the course of this world, and then they come into the church of God, and they see the same behavior. What a disaster. What a disaster. Unparalleled. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be once named among you as becomes saints whom Christ has sacrificed himself for. Don't allow these behaviors in. Unfortunately, again, we're going to go back to Thyatira as an example of how these things can creep into the church. And Paul was very concerned about Ephesus when he left it. Notwithstanding, Christ says to Thyatira, I have a few things against you. You're doing some things well, but they, are not with, they, they have no standing because you allow that woman Jezebel. And then we know because this is preceding the Great Tribulation that this spirit of Jezebel, and for that matter, the spirit of Ahab, will be very strong in the church in the end time. And so we have to be watching for this, that Jezebel is going to sidle up to Ahab and use the influence that Ahab should have. She's going to hijack that influence and use it herself. You will, and, and, and the church is going to allow it. You allow that woman Jezebel, which calls herself, self-proclaimed, a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants. Seduction is a slow process. Seduction involves words. Seduction involves altering the way people see things. So through the teaching, Christ says there's going to be many false teachers, through the teaching, this is okay, that's okay, and just kind of twisting people up to seduce my servants, to do what? To commit fornication. The very thing that the Apostle Paul says, let it not be once named among you, we see now the, the door through which it can come into the congregation, through this Jezebel spirit of usurpation, spirit of usurpation, spirit of manipulation that the church allows. If we're, if we're to not allow these things to be once named among us, we have to watch the teachings and make sure that the teachings are coming from the Holy Word of God. Verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting. And it's not to say that you can't tell jokes. No, no joking. No joking allowed. You know, Christians are very, very serious. We never smile. We never laugh. There's no joking allowed. Obviously, that's not what he's saying. The, the context here, it, again, is the spirit of seduction. Many men, many women, when they're involved in seduction, will start off telling jokes. Because that's safe. You know, I, I say something and you get offended. Oh, I was just joking because I'm testing the waters. I, I, I was just joking. Can't you take a joke? I'm just joking. And I realize the waters are not good here. But I say something in jest, I say it as a joke, and you accept it. 
and now I know I can go further. So this is the context, is this sort of filthy talking, foolish talking, uh, filthy jesting, which are not appropriate. Rather, giving of thanks, pure things should be coming out of our mouths, especially when we understand from Ephesians 1 what we're involved in, what a great calling this is. And again, going back to Ephesians 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And that's why we say, if ancient Israel was to rejoice, how much more are we to rejoice when we see how we've been blessed? So let's, let, if we're filled with this, then we're going to be full of giving thanks. And then he goes on in Ephesians 5, For this you know, how would they know this? Obviously, they've been taught. This, this doesn't just fall in your mind. This doesn't just pop in your head. This is something you have to be taught. There have to be faithful teachers who are teaching this. Paul knows he taught them this, and so he knows that they know. For this you know, that no whoremonger, a lover of whores, and today we could say no pornographer, there's going to be brethren out there that are, it's all over that are going to fall victim to pornography. Well, no pornographer will be in the kingdom. You, 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 you may not be going to an actual prostitute and paying an actual prostitute, but in this world of high-tech technology, you might be in your private space as a pornographer. And I'm here to tell you through the word of God, no pornographer will be in the kingdom. No whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. And this is the, the horrible, seductive danger of Marxism. This global influence of Marxism all around the world in different flavors and, and, and textures to seduce different types of people to be involved in this conflict theory of the haves against the have-nots or the have-nots against the haves. This conflict theory rooted in covetousness from a man who was a child of the devil. And now we see that anybody who gets caught up in this Marxist ideology is a coveter, is full of covetousness, breaking the commandments. And we also see further that covetousness is idolatry. So if you're getting swept up in these social justice movements, you're getting swept up in covetousness, you want the power for your group, you want the wealth for your group, you want to take it away from somebody else, you're involved in conflict theory, you're worshipping another god. You, you've just been seduced into worshipping Satan. Covetousness is idolatry. So no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So this is the kingdom of Christ and of God. In fact, it's the kingdom of God that God gives to Christ. And Christ gives to Israel. So we can call it the kingdom of Israel. We can call it the kingdom of Christ. We can call it the kingdom of God. Here it's called the kingdom of Christ and, and of God. There's no inheritance. And this is the whole thing. We're brought into this inheritance. But if we're involved in these things, we can be playing church. We can come and we can sit and we can assemble with the brethren. But when Christ returns, one will be taken and another will be left. 
and, and the taken there is taken to be destroyed. We can't play, like, please. And this is like sometimes you hear us preaching and we're preaching with all urgency because we see the destruction of the church by Satan and ultimately by God himself. God will, that's why he stands with flames of fire in his eyes and he's about to unleash his wrath and he's warning us. And yet so many of us are falling victim. And this, uh, by the way, this Marxist movement is deep into the spirit of Jezebel. Witches are running these movements. All over you see this very dominant witchcraft and witches running it. And unfortunately, brethren chasing after them, falling victims to them. So sometimes we warn very strongly. And at the same time, we have to be very patient and just hope that people come along and wake up before it's too late. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. This is tr like, this is tragic. So let no man deceive you with vain words. It, this, is, this should be as plain as day. Don't let anybody come to you with any kind of fancy talk to say, if you're involved in these things, that it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. And, and the Jezebel comes in and she speaks in such a way to make you think it's okay, that you have rights, that this is right, this is right and good, and you can do these things. Let nobody deceive you with these vain words. For because of these things, according to the course of the world, all these people that are running according to the course of this world, they are incurring the wrath of God. And it's because of these behaviors that the wrath of God is coming upon these children of disobedience that we read of in Ephesians 2.2. 2. They're, they're running according to the prince of the power of this air, according to the course of this world. We cannot be in agreement with them. We have to stand in opposition, not to the flesh and blood. We have to stand in opposition to the principalities and the powers. That, that's the intent that our conduct, our behavior, our unity, our separating ourselves from the course of this world is to the intent that we should make known unto the principalities and powers, the multifaceted wisdom of God. That's our purpose, one of our purposes. And yet many of us are allowing ourselves to be deceived with smooth words. Oh, if this hurts your feelings, it's okay. Because your feelings are really, really, well, they're just really, really important. It's really important that at no time should you feel uncomfortable. Bad, bad, bad minister who made you hurt your feelings. Bad minister. Bad, bad minister. You, you, you pursue your nice feelings. If you're falling into a ditch and somebody isn't crying out, be careful, watch your step, walk worthy of this vocation, that person doesn't love you. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience. And, and Paul is speaking to this church in Ephesus. When he left, he was speaking to the leaders. And he said, I know this. After my departing, I'm holding these people at bay. I'm standing against the principalities and powers. But after I leave, grievous wolves are going to enter in among you, not sparing the flock. What does that mean? Their words, their teachings, their deceptions. That's how the principalities and powers work, through deception, through words. 
also, even of your own selves, shall men arise, speaking perverse things. It's all about teaching. It's all about knowledge. That's why we said yesterday, and I woke up in the night and I said, I bet you those verses are right in the middle of the text. And there's, a, a, I think it's 175 verses in Ephesians, and Ephesians 4.11 and 4.12 are right smack dab in the middle of the letter. And I knew, I just had a hunch. I knew it. That's how important teaching is. And that's how important structure is, that God works through a structure. And if we don't respect that structure of giftedness, it's not self-proclaimed. It's not Jezebel saying, I'm a prophetess, put me in this role. No, it's a structure of giftedness. We recognize the gifts through the edification. And so when we don't do that, when we depart from the structure, then we allow men to arise and speak perverse things. That they're not speaking according to the text. They're speaking vain words and deception to draw away disciples after them. And so this is, you know, the way that this works is through covetousness. When I make you feel like you are being disadvantaged and there's something that you deserve that you're not getting the way Satan made Eve feel, then it's easy for me to draw you away after myself instead of leaving you to follow God. Covetousness is idolatry because from the very beginning, it's how, it's how our foreparents, Adam and Eve, came to worship Satan through covetousness. And it, and it continues, it's one of his strategies. So if you're feeling hard done by, especially if we live in the West, I mean, this, I know people all over the world listen to us, but especially if we live in the West, the poorest of us live like kings compared to people of ancient times. If we have food, if we have raiment, let us be content and give God thanks because this world is passing away. What we have is eternal life and we just need to get through this world. And, and this world, everything, in fact, that we have in the West, we're going we're gonna to wake up one day and it is, we're going to be very much like the third world. And so if we're trying to hold on to material things and fight for material things, we will never be happy. Let us instead understand these great spiritual blessings that we have in our hands and rejoice and give thanks over that. So Ephesians 5, be you not therefore partakers with them. Don't be going in the course of this world. Don't be partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. You were walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, but now you have the Holy Spirit. So walk, there it is again, walk as children of light. So this, con this concentration on how we walk, different and apart from how this world walks. And it's really sad when I hear some of the narratives and some of the discourse of our young people in the church, it is precisely and exactly and word for word the discourse and the narrative that I hear from young people in the world. And I mean word for word. It's as if, to, it's as if a script was written and handed to them. Every single thing that's coming out of their mouth, none of it is coming from the Bible. All of it is coming from Marxist ideology. And it's in the church. And it's word for word what I hear in the world, uh, from young people in the world, word for word. We need to walk as children of light, not according to the course of this world. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. 
we care about truth. We can't say, well, yeah, that might be true, but I don't care. That might be true, but I'm entitled to my own facts. No, we walk in goodness and righteousness and truth. That's where the fruit of the Spirit is. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. That the path that we take, as the light shines brighter and brighter, it becomes evident and apparent that our path is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't allow those things to come into the church. Have absolutely no fellowship with them. That we have been brought into this mystery. And again, he's bringing forward this concept that he uh, brought in uh, Ephesians 3. That there's a mystery of the fellowship that was hidden throughout the ages. And it's been made known now. Even the prophets didn't know it. Even the principalities and powers had no idea of the mystery of this fellowship. And now it's been revealed in us. And so if we have access to this fellowship that has been ordained since before the foundation of the world, why would we run after fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness? Instead, we should be reproving them. There should be no disagreement in the church that the entire church should be speaking with one voice in reproving these works of darkness. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. So when this, these things start creeping into the church, anybody can put on a suit and tie. Anybody can put on a fancy dress. Or in different parts of the world, there's different uh, customs of dress. But anybody can put on nice clothes. And then come and sit among us and smile and say, Hallelujah, Amen. But if we are following false doctrine, if we are following demonic ideology, if we are letting the false teachings of the principalities and powers access our mind, guaranteed our behavior is not going to conform with Christ. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes the power of this, this Spirit of God in us to walk worthy of this vocation. All these things that Paul is saying, do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. This, is, this requires spiritual energy to walk worthy of this vocation. If, and that's why the, uh, Ephesians 1 to 3 is all about teaching and doctrine and knowledge so that as this knowledge gets into our mind, we can then live according to Ephesians 4 to 6. The Apostle Paul doesn't just open up in, with Ephesians 4 and say, do this, do this, don't do this, live like this, don't do this, make sure you live like this. Because without the teaching, we cannot access the spiritual power that enables us to live these ways. So if people are disregarding the power of God's word, and they're chasing after Marxist ideology, they're chasing after satan satanic doctrine, the teachings of the principalities and powers, the seductive teachings of Jezebel, if they are allowing these concepts into their mind and they're passionate about these concepts, guaranteed the things that they do in secret are inappropriate. Anybody can put on a fancy dress. Anybody can put on a suit and tie. Anybody can smile and say hallelujah. But not anybody can resist evil. Not anybody can be angry for the right reasons. 
And so we're, we're, we have righteous anger. But when we go to bed, we don't carry that anger to bed. People who are angry, carrying it to bed, and waking up angry, and carrying it to Passover, and, and waking up, coming out of Passover, year after year, with anger, have allowed themselves to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. And if they're under his dominion, then believe me, there are things that are happening in secret that are unbelievable. So it's a shame even to speak of these things, which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. It will come out. The word of God is light. And we reprove according to the word of God. And these things will come out. For whatsoever does make manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you that sleep. And then again, remember that Christ was raised from the dead by this mighty power. And then by way of extension, we who have walked according to the prince of the power of the air, who were dead in our sins, have been brought to life by this same power. And so calling on this same power, he can say to us, wake up, you who sleep, and arise from the dead. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead, we have access to this power. We should not be running up and down with the dead. You know, the dead can be very much lively. Just because they're lively and they're very emotional and they're very strong and they're very passionate, it doesn't mean that they're alive. They're very much dead. And so even us, if we are caught up with them and we are very passionate and lively and very emotional, it doesn't mean that we're alive. Life is in Christ. So arise from the dead and then Christ will give you light. We, we, we were sometimes darkness, but now we should be in the light. But if we're still in the darkness, wake up. Allow these words to really take hold of us and Christ will give us light. See then that you walk circumspectly. Walk, 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 walk. Don't walk according to the course of this world. Walk circumspectly. Walk worthy of this vocation. Walk in the light, walk in love. There's a way of walking that demonstrates whether the Holy Spirit has a hold of us or whether the Prince of the Power of the Air has a hold of us. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And the thing is, the fool doesn't know that he or she is a fool. The fool thinks that they're wise. But this is the evaluation through the enlightened eyes of the Holy Spirit. This is the evaluation through Christ's eyes that we must walk circumspectly, wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And boy, are they evil. Boy, are they evil and becoming increasingly so. So we're running out of time. Evil men are waxing worse and worse. Satan knows that he has but a short time. The time is running out. We need to be redeeming the time. We don't have the time to be caught up in, in the things of this world. We have to be very, very focused on this walk and take all the time to comprehend the breadth, the depth, the height, the width of this calling. Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. He does have a will. He, he has, this will has been determined before the foundation of the world. We have been grafted into this will. We can't be fools. 
We can't be grafted into this will and have no idea what we're doing. He prays that the eyes of our enlightenment would be opened so that we can understand what the will of the Lord is and do it. And be not drunk with wine, Christ says in Matthew 24, that those who eat and drink with the drunken and beat their fellow servants, he will come and he will split them in two. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not in the world. Of course there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth in the world. But this weeping and gnashing of teeth is in the church. When at, you, you know, we think we're wise, we think we're doing the right thing, but we've been deceived. And when Christ comes and that deception is lifted, and we realize we have been chasing wind, everything that we thought we were fighting for was nothing. And we were fighting against God's own people. Instead of loving God's people, instead of accepting rebuke from God's people, we have been fighting God's people. And we've been eating and drinking with the drunken. And he says, don't be drunk with wine. And so there's spiritual drunkenness that Christ referred to. But here, this is even physical. Don't, don't, like there's a way of being circumspect and moderate. And so do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess or you know, you go to a party, people go to parties, and Christians go to parties, and they're drinking, and they get caught up in behavior that, first of all, they should have never been in that place. Secondly, because they, they should be separate. People should know you're a Christian, but they're blending in, they're fitting in, and then they're drinking all this excess wine, and then they're left, left in, led into ways of debauchery. You know, you sort of get caught up in the crowd. Christians should never get caught up in the crowd. The whole world is going a certain way. The Christian stands out and goes the other way, because the whole world is walking according to the course of this world. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Study the Word of God. Praise God. Fellowship with God's people. Meditate on this thing. And, and let the Spirit fill us, so that we would never behave in these ways. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, so we should be aware of what's in the Psalms, and hopefully you're able to join us through the Psalm studies, um, and, and have these hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. And this, this is a, a, an instruction from the Apostle that we should be doing these things. And of course, Satan is working to try to prevent us from doing these things. But we need to be walking circumspectly and understanding what the will of the Lord is. And this is certainly his will, part of his will giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if ancient Israel was to keep these feast days with a spirit of rejoicing for the blessings, the physical blessings that God gave them through the work of their hands, how much more should we rejoice through these days of feasting for the spiritual blessings that God has withheld nothing and we did nothing. It's through his work, the work of his hands, that we have access to these spiritual blessings. When we fully understand what we're involved in, we would never be seduced by Marxism, by covetousness, because our eyes are just totally immersed. Our, the eyes of our enlightenment being opened are totally immersed in the will of the Lord, giving thanks always, always for all things. We are just overwhelmed with what God is doing for us giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is in, in the Christian community. 
in the covenant community, there truly is a spirit of humility. There's a spirit of preferring one another. Again, the spirit of Jezebel is a spirit of usurpation, and it's a spirit of bullying, and, 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 and it's very overpowering, and, and it's confrontational, and it wants to control everything. The spirit of God is a spirit of freedom. It's a spirit of empowerment. It's a spirit of enabling. And because we have this spirit of empowering and enabling, we want to see the gifts of the brethren fully realized. And so we have this way, and, and you see it in 1 Corinthians 14 as well as, as Paul was trying to teach the Corinthians. We have this way of preferring one another, of submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of God, that we would never push our, our way and our will and our ego over and above the brethren. We would never do this because we see Christ, we see the Holy Spirit in the brethren. And so there's this, this sense of submitting ourselves to one another. And he says this before now, we go into this discourse and instruction to wives and husbands. So the context is within the covenant community, there's a spirit of submission. That you should be able to walk into any congregation and experience this spirit of submission where everyone is respected, people who have gifts uh, know what their gifts are and they, they, they're given the space and the encouragement to pursue those gifts. And it's not them in a spirit of Jezebel saying, I'm a prophetess, this is my gift, I'm going to beat you over the head with it, and you better submit to me. It's not that. It's brethren coming to us and saying, you know, brother, sister, when you do this thing, we're blessed by it. And you seem to just have this natural ability. I couldn't do this, but you seem to be able to just do it so easily. And it's a great, tremendous blessing to us. And you hear that over and over again, you hear that enough times, maybe you have a gift. Maybe you should be pursuing that gift, not for your ego's sake, but for the sake of serving and blessing the brethren and edifying and building up the body of Christ in preparation for his return. So in the context then of this congregational setting where the brethren prefer one another and the brethren submit to one another, now he zeroes in to speak to the wives. Wives, within this context of brethren submitting to one another, wives, it goes even further. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. And every time I read this to brethren, I just have to re remind brethren or emphasize that this does not say women submit to men. Because I've seen in the past, in my, in my walk with Christ, certain past congregations, where there was this very strong chauvinistic mentality where women were to have no place in the congregation and they were to be under the feet of all the men. And that's the, nowhere do you see that in the Bible. What we just read was submitting yourselves to one another, preferring one another, and now specifically wives, you submit yourselves to your own husbands. This is godly structure. The same way we read in Ephesians 4, the structure of the ministry and the members in order to bless the members, that that structure is a blessing, that God works through that structure. And we see the Jezebel spirit overturning that structure and destroying the blessing of God. It starts in the marriage. That there is a structure that God will bless. And the structure is that the husband is over the wife in the Lord. So wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands the way you would to the Lord. 
And we just read that earlier, uh, I believe it was in verse 2, where the church is to uh, submit, is to serve, to love the brethren the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So we are all to submit to each other and love each other the way Christ loved the church, that we will sacrifice ourselves for the church. Well, this now comes into the marriage. That understanding what Christ has done for his people, his covenant people, wives now are modeling this in their behavior. That they submit to their own husbands and not to somebody else's husband, as unto the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife. And again, the, these Marxist uh, movements and, and ideologies, Karl Marx hated the family. He hated God. He loved Satan and he wanted to destroy the family. And so it's no surprise that these modern neo-Marxist movements are trying to destroy the family. They're trying to destroy the concept of God, which is revealed in the family, and they want the state to be your father, not God. They want the state to be your mother, not God. They want to take your children away from you, and the children now belong to the state, not you. They're not your children. They belong to the community, the communist community. And again, brethren who are supporting these movements, you haven't connected the dots. You haven't put two and two together because you have no idea how this will destroy you. And when we, when we read Judges, when we were studying Judges, we saw how Israel wanted Baal. And God said, go ahead, have it then. And have everything that goes with it. And don't come crying to me. And I'm afraid this is where we're heading now. So the husband is the head of the wife. This is not a Western prescribed nuclear family. This is a, a godly prescribed divine ordination and structure and institution from God himself that reflects the Godhead and the plan of God and the will of God. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body immediately. The, the leadership within Christ is always to the benefit of those led. It is never the, what we see today in the politicians and the worldly folks today where people are taking leadership roles for their own aggrandizement and for their own wealth. You have people who, who have made no money at all throughout their lives. They've never had any kind of gainful employment. And then they come into public office, which is to serve the people and they become multi, 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 multi-millionaires. This is the kind of leadership we see in this world. Whereas the leadership of Christ is, you come into leadership and you sacrifice. Things that you, you know, everybody else has time to do that with the things that they like to do, you don't have that anymore. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your things. In a sense, you become impoverished by taking on a leadership role because of your willingness and your commitment to serve those whom God has put you over. And so this is the way it is with the husband and the wife. The husband is the head of the, the wife, the same way Christ is the head of the church and the savior of the body. Head and savior. Head is a head savior. Goes head, head and savior. It goes together. Head, 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 savior. You don't just say head and then just think he's just head just for ego. No, head, savior. Head, sacrifice. Now, this is pulling forward this concept from Ephesians 1 that Christ is the head of the body that God has put all things under his feet 
and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. So he's pulling forward this concept from chapter one now into chapter five. Now, this relationship between Christ and the church, where the, he's the head of the church, the head of the body, uh, this is Israel. The church is Israel. And because he's speaking to a Gentile church, we can come to think that, you know, there's God and the church and there's no place for Israel now. No, 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 no. That would be wrong thinking. The only bride that Christ has is Israel. She failed him. And now he's grafting in Gentiles into Israel, infusing us with the Holy Spirit so that we can be first fruits Israel. Here in Jeremiah 3 and verse 14, Jeremiah writes, or God speaks through Jeremiah, Turn, O backsliding children. This is no perfect wife. This is a disaster of a wife. Turn, O backsliding children, says the Lord, because I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And there's that theme again, that God's going to gather them from the four corners of the earth, because he's married to Israel. He says, he said, I'm married to you. So, so this is the concept that we're under. Paul, the Rabbi Shaul, is not making up a new ideology here. It's rooted in Torah, and it's rooted in the prophets. Back to uh, Ephesians 5, verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, and we just, we just read all of this, the expectations, how we should behave, how we ought to love one another, how we do what Christ commands us to do because he's the head over the church, and how we access this great power that he's making available to us so that we can walk worthy in this way. Well, the same way we're striving to do all of this as the church under Christ, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, in the same way, in the exact same way, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And I'm here to say to you, ladies, men, your husband may not be perfect, but your marriage is a symbol of Christ in the church. And the same way that the church is subject to Christ. This is how, if you want your marriage to be blessed, this is how women should be subject to their own husbands, not to somebody else's husband, not to men in general, but to your own husband. If we see a marriage that is upside down, where the woman is the leader of the household, we know that this is a Jezebel spirit, and this is not going to be blessed. The way that God wants to bless the family structure it's not going to work. That this is part of how we go to battle against the devil. We are called to be in opposition to the principalities and powers. And they are in opposition to God's will. And God's will is that our marriages reflect Christ in the church. They want to overturn that. So when we see a marriage where this divine structure has been overturned and the woman has a Jezebel spirit, and she has made an Ahab out of her husband. This cannot be blessed by God. And this is how the principalities and powers begin to gain access into the congregation. So this spiritual warfare that we're a part of involves very much what happens in our households. Husbands then, he turns to the husbands now, it's not one way. It's not that the wife is to be a doormat and, and abused, and that's just the way it is. No. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. The same way Christ 
loved the church and gave himself for it. In other words, Christ did not um, hold out any of his rights. He did not say, well, I have a right to be respected. I have a right to be honored. I have a right to, be, to, to expect loyalty. And therefore, because you violated my rights, I'm not doing anything for you any longer. No. All of Christ's rights were violated. How did he respond? I will go to earth and I will sacrifice myself in order to redeem my wife. Perfectly pictured by the book of Hosea, the life of Hosea. Husbands, love your wives, period, end of story, no wiggle room, love your wives. The way, no, not just love your wives because she makes you feel good. No, if your wife doesn't make you feel good, love your wife. There's no wiggle room here. The way, love your wife the way Christ loved the church because she did not make him feel good, but he loved her anyway, and he gave himself to redeem her. That's what you must do. That he might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word. Where did, where did Paul get this concept from? Look at Ezekiel 16. Then washed I you, Israel, with water. Yes, I thoroughly washed away the blood from you, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with broidered work, and shod you with badger's skin, and I girded you about with fine linen, and I covered you with silk. This is how God treated the church. In chapter 36, then will I sprinkle you, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. So ancient Israel, and now this future Israel. From all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. He's committed. He doesn't choose a wife, drop her, choose another one, drop her, choose another one. No, there's a covenant here. And he sacrifices himself to bring this covenant wife into cleanliness and into a true relationship. A new heart also, and this is how we know this is the same Israel in future. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And we are the first fruits of this eventuality. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. This is what Paul is referring to. The Gentiles have been grafted in to this. It's the same Israel that God is washing. You are first fruits of this washing and you are Gentiles grafted into the first fruits of this washing. So when we understand all of this, this is the commitment that a husband must have to his wife that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish this is how men ought to love their wives nothing else let no man deceive you with vain words this is how men ought to love their wives as their own bodies he that loves his wife loves himself that the, you and the woman have been made one and so you loving her in God's eyes you're loving yourself for no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it the same way Christ the church and here uh, in Galatians he says brethren you've been called unto liberty this is there's freedom in Christ but don't lose your, use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So the brethren, remember he started this whole passage with submit to one another, but now he's zeroing in 
on what happens within the household. Because that's sort of the factor of the human mind. Human minds are made within households. And so now we're really getting down to the nitty-gritty. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and, and love your wife as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, and unfortunately some marriages end up like this, if you bite and devour one another, beware that you, that you don't destroy one another, that you don't render one another useless for the kingdom of God and, and, and fit for the, for the lake of fire. And this can happen within a marriage. Now, I'm not sure, I didn't want to, I wanted Ephesians 1 there, sorry, let me just grab this. Uh, this should be Ephesians 1. Sorry about that. I just forgot to come back to Ephesians. And then this, I believe, should be Galatians. Let's see how that works out. Sorry about that, brethren. Um, I thought I had turned that properly around. Okay, so, yeah, so, so you can see how even um, within a, a marriage, we can get into this fruit of the uh, works of the, the flesh. Um, and so now Ephesians 1, 17, that he wants, us to, he wants to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so when he says, walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is, this is how we ought to be. Now, let me just get back here. Where was I? Ephesians 5. 29, yes, okay, that's right. So we're gonna finish now. So yes, 29, we'll go to Ephesians 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We're, we're, we're of his body. This is going back to Ephesians 1. We're, we're members, and so we have to have the spirit of wisdom, understanding what we're a part of. And then in verse 31, for this cause shall a man, for this cause, understanding what this is all about, this is why we have marriage. We are reflecting the kingdom of God, the relationship God has with the church in our marriages, and we're shaping human minds within this context. And, and this is how we are battling with the principalities and powers, that we cannot allow the principalities and powers to come into our marriages and turn them upside down, where you know, they're saying the woman wears the pants, and by extension, the man wears a skirt. You know, this is the spirit of Jezebel and Ahab. We cannot have this. We have to have the spirit of Christ and the church in our relationships. So this is the spirit of wisdom. We're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, this, when we have this understanding, this is why we have marriage. That's why we cannot accept the Marxist ideology to, to, to destroy marriage and destroy the family. It's the very reason why we have marriage, what is going on, the, the, the eternal purpose of God. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. So remember, this, he's speaking to Ephesians here. He's speaking to people who were immersed, immersed in witchcraft. And I should really define witchcraft, in a nutshell, is about control. That's why Jezebel is a witch. It's about control. It's about using words and language and potions and spells to get control over people. Whereas in Christ we have liberty. In Christ we have freedom. And in, within this witchcraft then, under Satan's dominion, according to the course of this world, there's all kinds of debauchery. Orgies, debauchery, all kinds of satanic behavior. 
the only place for sexuality between a man and a woman is, is in the marriage. And so for this reason, when we understand all of the will of God, this is why we have marriage. And this is why we have sexual intimacy within marriage. And there can be no sexual intimacy anywhere outside of marriage. So, so don't be deceived. There's only this one concept of marriage. And anything outside of this is, a, a, before it is a fornication, outside of it is adultery, period. And Jezebel comes in to seduce God's servants to commit these things. He says, this is a great mystery. It's not a small mystery. It's a great mystery. But I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. So everything that he's been telling us about Christ and the church and how we ought to behave, it all is distilled and focused and represented in the Christian marriage. Nevertheless, although this is a big, big concept, it's a great mystery, it's not something we're all going to get right away. However, let every one of you do not deviate from this. Let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife, see that she reverence her husband, that she knows the, 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 the godly place for a woman in the marriage, and the man understands the godly place for the man in the marriage, and we don't want to see upside-down marriages in our congregations, because those are portals for the principalities and powers to come into the church. So this is, it's very, very deep. It's very, very profound. It's a lifetime of study, excuse me. It's a lifetime before we come into the full understanding, but practice it. Do these things and the blessings, the understanding will come. Well, this is wonderful, brethren. That's Ephesians 5. God willing, we have one more chapter, and we'll, we'll cover that uh, tomorrow. Um, tonight, here in Collingwood, I'm going to give um, a study on the whole book of Ephesians, kind of a summary and pull out the key themes, uh, so that if you're able to join us tonight as well, uh, that will be wonderful. Uh, I will be pulling forward some of the concepts we've already covered, and then some of what I'll cover tomorrow. Uh, these studies are line by line in detail. Tonight's study, uh, we'll be more looking at some passages to tie the whole thing together. Jesus Christ is Lord. Here we are on the seventh day. Don't miss the opportunity to rejoice before the Lord for all of these wonderful blessings that he has blessed us with. God bless you, brother.